0: I watched my parents like who who lost a son and it changed them forever. Like I, I I can't imagine, yeah. It's yeah, it's unbelievable. Like my experience with it and I think one of my biggest fears about writing that song was is like this isn't even about me. It's my family has to live this now. Like my family has to relive this every time they hear this song. And I was so scared of that. I was so scared for my other brothers, my other brothers to hear it. It was the most scared I've ever been to share anything with anybody and I didn't care about the rest of the world, I didn't care about millions of people seeing it, hearing it, whatever. <laughs>
1: when people do you ever get the whole like elijah woods when people search you up they get frodo baggins they do (laughs) does that ever bother you
0: no not at all no (laughs) i i had there was a moment at the beginning of my career where i was like should i pick another name because there's (laughs) the the seo is not incredible and then i was like he doesn't have any social media so i kind of just went with it and it's great because i get tagged like in the beginning of it i got tagged in a lot of stuff that was (laughs) me like photoshopped onto his face or just him like it was all just like at Elijah woods was or Adelijah wood was so good at whatever film festival and i'm like i wasn't in spike it's three but i'll take it <laughs> and um I, it's the worst at airports like airports is non-stop it's like yeah. they'll like because everyone's half asleep when they're like reading the the passports whatever and i was there a couple maybe it was a couple months ago uh, the girl was half asleep reading my passport and she was like Elijah Wood and she kind of like perked up and she looked up and she's like, oh, it's not, it's not him. And I was like, yep, it's me. I'm a little taller than him too, so I feel like it's a bit alarming. Like people are like, what is, what's going <laughs> on here?
1: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. It's gotta be a wild story though every time you walk through an airport. In general, let alone having to like, I'm not, I'm not him. I don't have a ring. It's yeah, not me. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. No, no ring. I'm not bringing the ring anywhere. <laughs> no, there's no plan. I have no sidekick. It's just, it's just me.
1: But speaking of rings, you've recently proposed. I did to your now fiance. I did, yeah. And that's got to be an incredible moment in a young man's life, in any man's life, but a young man's life to make that kind of a commitment, um, and then also balance that with a growing music career and also when you're in the spotlight you often get a lot of attention and notoriety from the opposite sex mm-hmm. so like there's a lot that goes on in there Can you totally. walk us through a little bit what's what's happening on that side um
0: I think I mean in general I've been I've been in relationships my whole life I'm really good at being in relationships and I, I grew up like I'm quick to fall in love and quick to fall out of love but when I, I met my fiance. I want to say, it was it was within two to three days. I was like, for whatever reason, I knew that that was the person that I wanted to be with for the rest of my life. Like, I absolutely knew, without a without a notion of doubt, that that was the person for me. And I didn't know why because I'd never felt that before. I'm like, I'm I'm always I'm always the person who's like. Um, I think maybe maybe it's a creative piece of it um it's like you have to fall in love with something to find out what it actually means and to like mm-hmm. get really involved in it and to like see the see the end of something um and this was just so different for me because um, i hadn't felt those things before in this way and um i never thought i'd get married i had no interest in ever getting married and then i met this person and i was like i get it now like i, I think that that's the thing that you should do um and it's funny cuz I'm not religious there's no connotation to it for me it's just like I just want to be with you and like that's yeah. the only thing that I need um and I think I think the there's a I don't know maybe a an assumption in the music industry that it is very like oh you're on the road and there's all this attention and there's all this whatever it's it's like it's whatever you let it be you know what i mean like it's you can find people in toronto walking down the street if you wanted to and like i'm just not looking so like it's really easy for me to be like at a show and people are screaming and throwing things and saying whatever they're gonna say and it's like okay well no problem like i'm not interested like i'm yeah. i'm not i'm not available mentally so it's it's not uh i don't feel those pressures um and i don't uh I think it's what you allow yourself to sort of feel um, in, in whatever context that sort of makes sense I think there's like involuntary things that you feel like like I felt when I met my fiance but um, in in large it's like okay am I emotionally available right now is this something that I'm looking for am I looking to fill a void and for me it was just never it was was. Ne- it's not that thing ever yeah. which is cool I mean because a lot of people I think fall fall trapped to that in a lot of different scenarios and it's scary like it's I, I have a lot, a lot of friends who are artists and they're on the road and they're doing whatever they're doing. And I'm like, shit, bro. Like, it's a scary place to be dating. Like, it's not, like, dating people and dating fans and dating... Um, I think dating as somebody who is, like, trying to be well-known or trying to be um, trying to be famous in general, it's, like, it's spooky. Like, anybody can say anything about you all the time and, like... It doesn't take very much. Mm. It doesn't take a lot. It yeah. just takes an assumption and, and uh, I'm not... I'm never one to, like... Um, to acknowledge the fact that like uh, some things are bogus and some things aren't but like it just takes one headline or it just takes like one thing and for me I just try to stay as, as far from that as possible so I'm like a homebody I don't go out I don't do anything and mm-hmm. it's not because of that but I think it's like a good little cherry on top yeah. my managers like it a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's just no out bad tr- just out of trouble yeah yeah no not a lot of bad press yeah mm-hmm. yeah except for this interview so <laughs> yeah, <just laughs> we're gonna uncover all, yeah, the, yeah, all yeah. the dirty yeah. shit yeah. yeah this is it yeah
1: <laughs> um okay so how did this all, like, were you always, was music always something that you wanted to do? No. So no, you stumbled into not. it. I
0: did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely stumbled into it. I was I was pretty athletic growing up, and I thought, like,
1: like anybody who's, like, 14,
0: 15, full of testosterone, I was like, I'm going to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty tall. I'm, like, 6'5", so I was like, I, I got a good chance. I could be, like, a shooting guard or something. <clears throat> so I put, like, my 10,000 hours in, did the thing, and then I played on an AAU team in um, in Ottawa and we traveled around the states and just got the shit kicked out of us because it's just a different game yeah. like it's just like yeah. you play against some of these like inner city kids and they're just like oh I'm just dunking on you like yeah. eight to ten times a game and I was like okay I'm not that good <laughs> and then I went to university for a minute because I was like I don't really know what to do with sports and I went to hu- I went into human kinetics in at St. FX University and I just partied and just kind of like lost myself for a little while and during that time I'd started DJing. Um, I'd picked up some gigs uh, DJing and um, I'd kind of stumbled into producing like ghost producing dance music for a bunch of DJs. So DJs DJ's little parties at high school and then that sort of carried on to um, onto university and I started doing that and I really really loved that and then I got an opportunity to work with. Um, a good friend of mine who actually plays in the NHL of all things. And he was releasing music, um, at the time, um, and she was like, do you want to just like write a bunch of music for me and ghostwrite for me? And I was getting paid like a thousand bucks a month or something like that. And I was like, I'm dropping to school. I'm just gonna do yes. this. Um, this is it. This is it. Oh, mom, I
1: made it. And my mom, my mom
0: lost her mind. She was like, what do you mean? Like we, we had your whole future plan, this whole thing. And like, that's scary as hell as a parent. Like if I, yeah. if I'm picturing me in like five, 10 years and my kids like, or not five, 10 years, but 20 years from now, my kids like I'm dropping out and I'm doing music. I'm like, <laughs> You're a month. idiot, bro. Like, what are you doing? And... It, i just locked myself away for like eight years like i just didn't i just didn't do anything else other than make music and produce music and travel and write with people and do all this stuff and then um I kind of looked up one day and I was like oh there's stuff happening and through that there was like a lot of detours and whatever but um I just decided that I was gonna do music and it just it just i haven't looked back mm. um, which i think was scary for my parents but I think the first moment they they realized it's so it's so funny and it's it was so it was a really significant moment in my life but like that's so such an inc- uh, insignificant thing to me um personally but the moment that they thought that I was doing something special was when I was on CTV's the launch which was like a TV show and mm-hmm. I was like that had nothing to do with music but they were like they could tell all their friends and yeah. like yo look like he's actually doing something he's not just in a basement somewhere <laughs> but for me that was like it was so nonchalant and like whatever but yeah it was really really funny but they're they're so happy and they're so proud now but it's it's strange to watch that journey sort of like Unfold because I had never in my wildest dreams would have even imagined that I'd, I'd be doing this. Like, yeah. yeah, being on a podcast talking about my music is just hilarious to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you're very self-aware and very humble. Thank I you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I try to be.
0: I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think it's... Um, I grew up in a really small town, and I think that comes with, like, a few things. Um, One, if you do something stupid, people make fun of you, and they know about it. Mm. Um, and everyone knows your business, which is really, really cool. So it taught me a lot about, like just watching myself and just making sure like I don't look stupid because yeah. there's nowhere to hide, you know what I mean? Um, and I was also, um, I, I grew up working in a bakery and my mom owned a bakery for 25 years. So I knew everybody in town and I got, I got really good at talking to people because I'd work at the cash yeah. and I really, really enjoyed that thing. And then I'm sure there's some sort of transferable skills of talking to people or telling stories or whatever it is um, from sitting and chatting with people in a cafe for eight hours a day for eight years or something. Yeah
1: that's crazy okay so um you're at this point now in your career and when you look back on it all up to this point because it's still a short career there's still so much more to go absolutely but when you look back on it all is there anything that you look back and go i probably shouldn't have done it this way
0: i don't think so i'm not like a very i don't i don't really regret much um i think like the missteps or the I think life in general, my my life in general, it's all forward moving. Um, I think there are some zigs and some zags, but it's all going towards something. And without going around something, I wouldn't have recognized that I had this skill or this talent or whatever. Um, The dance music thing, for example, it's like, it it led me down a path of like musical perfection. You listen to that sort of music and it's like so clean and pristine and precise and so loud and exciting and everything. And then it influenced a lot of my music up into a certain point where where i just decided i was like i don't care about it being pristine and clean and amazing anymore but i want it to be i want it to be just a vibe and i want to just like like you listen to like uh i'm trying to give like a an example like the david kushner record that, that just came out that daylight song it's like it's all energy it's all vibe and the vocals are recorded really shittily and like it just sounds like amazing and muddy and terrible, but that's the aesthetic and it's a brilliant song. Like it's incredible. But I never would have allowed myself to do that. But without going down this dance music path, I wouldn't have understood that music could be that clean so that you can make it that uncomfortable and that grimy and that indie and that whatever. But in a more broad sense, I think like I've made terrible business decisions. I made terrible relationships. I made terrible friendships and partnerships. Um and even it's it goes on all the time. I mean you guys know, like you start a business and then things get weird with somebody and um or a collaboration doesn't work out or wherever it is but you just keep going like mm-hmm. that's like that's for me that's it it's just i, I just have to keep moving forward and mm-hmm. um i could probably rhyme off a thousand things that i've done that probably weren't good things or like not the best things for me in that time but i think i got further because of them in light of them because it made me look at it and be like oh now i understand that and i'll never do that again i just gotta i just gotta move forward but i think where you get stuck maybe I don't know this is kind of preachy but i think where some people get stuck is they get stuck on repeating that same mistake and going into that same sort of pattern over and over and over again which is something that I'd, i i work really hard not to do um i think when you make the same mistake over and over and over again there's some philosophical thing just like that that is what
1: like I at know. some point you you're doing it to yourself you're doing it to yourself yeah. and
0: yeah there's uh i i can't remember i can't remember who who it is it's probably like socrates or something like that but He's t- talking about what it means to be to be an idiot. And I always really, really liked... It's just like, it's not... Being an idiot isn't making a mistake. It's making the same mistake over and over and over again and expecting different results. And I was like, that's great. And I'm butchering this quote because it's beautiful <laughs> and, and lovely. But um, yeah, this is a songwriter and me coming out just terrible. <laughs> uh, but I, I always loved that because I was like, my goal is to not, not make the mistake, not make the same mistake twice or at least yeah. not make it multiple times.
1: How do you How do you stop yourself from making those mistakes specifically when it comes to relationships because no two people are going to be the same if you had if you tried to do a collab with one person and it didn't work or whatever the case may have been then you go and you go on to do another collab with somebody else how are you how are you like how are you keeping yourself grounded with what could potentially happen and go wrong and at the same time also allowing yourself the ability to trust a little bit because ultimately you're going to have to do that as well like you're gonna to have to give some totally to, to get some i think it's creating boundaries for yourself and just like seeing what you're willing to give
0: um i think there's a huge piece of the more vulnerable i am with people the more vulnerability i get back um especially with songwriting like you look at something as vulnerable as writing a song it's it's as personal as, as i get ever um, and when you give that away it generally comes back to you Um, but it's, it's all the other things I think around the, around the song that get weird. People get weird around money. People get weird around their rights and sessions. People get weird around, um, the use of music and all these, all these sorts of things. And for me navigating the rest of it is in service of the song. If that makes sense, like nothing, nothing else really matters because that's why I do this. I love creating art and I love creating music that relates and music that connects people. Um, but meeting people and and watching um watching people sort of like i guess go through these or me going through these things these these situations with people um be it um a falling out or a friendship or a a business endeavor that turns sour i think people are pretty predictable and it's more what you what you give up in those relationships Mm -hmm. um i think people people are In in large, and I don't mean this as as a slight to humanity. It's like we're all we're all looking for something for ourselves. Like we're all in service of our own needs. And if we can all recognize that, I think it makes us better people. Like this this podcast, for example. It's like we all hope that this clip does millions and millions of views, and we both blow up from this and whatever. But if our intentions are good, and we're bringing something together, like you have your own thing and I have my own thing, we bring that together and create something good from it. Amazing. But I think where it gets convoluted is when somebody somebody come two people come together and there's this expectation that one person is going to lift one person another person up. It should always be like, you have your own thing and I have my own thing and we're making something, something better together. And I think yeah. that's one thing that I always try to bring into any relationship. It's like with or without you, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. But I want to make sure that we can lift each other up at the same time is that if we're coming together, it's going to be bigger than the sum or the, the sum of our parts is going to be bigger this, than us individually. And that's kind of what I like try to take to every relationship. And I think that's one of my re- the reasons why my like romantic relationship works so well is because we're both our own people. We both have our own stuff going on. And when we come together we make each other's lives so much better and we're mm-hmm. so different um creatively she's not she's not a songwriter she doesn't do anything and she, she works at tiktok and entertainment partnerships like the furthest thing from sort of what i do but we come together on a, on a lot of these really incredible things and um we both have things to offer each other when you come home come home from work i come home from, from a trip there's things that we can catch up on and like that that means a lot to me so
2: when you start songwriting do you have to be in a certain mood or place or is it just
0: for you Um, it depends. I mean, I think you can always write a song, um, whether it's good or not is the, is the the thing. Like this morning I wake up, I wake up every day and I try to write a song. Like some, some days it's there and some days it's not. I think that's the closest to religion I've ever been closest to God I've ever been spirituality, whatever you want to call it. Um, I think I think songwriting is just opening a channel. Um, There's a really great book on creativity. I'm sure you guys... If you guys haven't read it, um, you should. It's the Rick Rubin one, Creative Act. Um, Mm -hmm. Wicked, wicked read. He talks about um, creativity is like a conveyor belt. And your job is to just show up to the conveyor belt and see if anything shows up. And if you... Keep showing up. There's bound to be something on this conveyor belt that you're going to actually like and you're going to tap into. But if you don't show up, then there's there's nothing that will happen. So writing a song is just that. It's just you show up and you hope that you can channel something. Um, But what you're channeling isn't even yours. You're just picking out these ideas that are presented to you. And I think that's like that's the spiritual part of songwriting for me. It's like you can sit down with the most information and the most intent and the most energy and love and be in the perfect scenario with the perfect people. And there's nothing there. Like there's no story, there's no context. And then out of nowhere, you'd be tired and hungover and like just got off a bender and you just went through a breakup and all these things and all, you're not feeling your hottest. And then all of a sudden, 30 songs will pour out of you. Mm. Great example, I was moving, um, I just put out an EP in August and we just moved into a new place in July, on July 1st. And we were packing up all of our stuff and then we we're going on a trip in July, packed up all my stuff, packed up my studio, on june 1st and on june 2nd i came home and i was like oh my god i have a song inside me and i don't know what it is My studio's all packed up, and I had to unpack all my studio stuff, set it all up, and I wrote my entire EP within a week and finished it top to bottom. Five songs, mixed, mastered, recorded, produced, engineered, everything within five days, and that wasn't me. That's just me sitting there being a vehicle for it. It's like something is channeling through me and happening, and I'm just lucky enough to tap into that in that moment. But if you don't tap into it, it's gone. It's like it's it's not about like oh I'll wait three weeks and do that. It's Mm -hmm. it's gone.
1: So it's like it's got to happen right away. Like once that spark hits you, you're you're you're, you know yeah yeah leave me alone I, I gotta work
0: yeah and yeah. that's and it's a huge there's a huge sacrifice that comes with that too because a lot of personal relationships a lot of friendships um time management just goes out the window like imagine, everything man. falls apart your diet your your sleep habits your skincare, the whole thing like everything <laughs> everything falls apart um but i think i think as as a creative and as a as as a as an artist and as a i guess as a business as well Everything is in service of that because that's why I do this. I don't do this for money. I don't do it for fame. I don't do it for anything else other than the feeling of when you tap into this God thing and for for context, I'm not religious at all, but I think it's the most spiritual and beautiful thing in the world. Cause when you tap into that, there's nothing, there's nothing like it. You are a vessel for something that isn't you. And when it happens, it's so incredible and special and real. Um, I wrote this song or yeah, I wrote this, uh, Wrote 10 versions of this song. Um, I had a brother that passed away uh, when I was like 14 years old in the car crash. And I tried to write a song about it for like eight years and just couldn't do it. And for whatever reason, like the songs are all done. They just suck. Like they're just not, they're not good. And then I sat down one day with a good friend of mine and we were like, hey, let's try to write this song. And all of a sudden, that vessel wide open. And then everything poured out and turned into one of my favorite songs ever, like m- one of the most authentic things I could write. Even though I had 10 versions of it that absolutely sucked, they're the exact same song, hypothetically. They're just not good. They're not not—they're mm-hmm. not special things. But when that thing's open, you just can't you can't close it, and you can't leave the room either is a big thing because yeah. um, it changes. It changes the next morning when you wake up. You're like, oh, I don't feel the same.
1: You, you said your brother passed away. Yeah. Yeah that was when he was 14 or when you were 14 when i was 14 yeah it's yes, 2000
0: 2008 so i'm 29 now so it's a okay. while ago yeah it took yeah. took a lot to get through it. i mean anybody who's gone through death knows that it's um i mean especially if somebody that close to you is it's weird it's just like i don't i don't feel and I, I i think the song helped a lot uh with that or just writing songs in general but i don't feel it uh, in the same sort of stingy matter where it's like if somebody brings it up or somebody has a relative who passed away i'm not like oh my god like it's just killing me all the time but it changes your emotional threshold, I think. I think that was the biggest thing for me. Um, so I think we've all experienced that on some level, whether it's death of a loved one or um, somebody sick or a pet dying or whatever it is. I think, I think the way that I, I myself and my therapist try to explain it is every time that something like that happens, your emotional threshold gets pushed a little further and you can either li- live in that new 10 percent. Or you can live within the whole threshold of it, and that just becomes you, because those people that get marginalized into this like ten percent of their trauma, they become victims, and they become that thing, and they become that that um, that uh, I want to say that like that trauma thing. I don't I I don't know how to explain it. they become that small moment. They, they they become attached to that that moment. Their personality becomes that moment. And sometimes like it's it's they're defined it, by that. They're, exactly. Sorry. Yeah. Yes, that's the word I'm looking for. They're defined by that thing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I just I I can't I can't do that. I I choose to be I choose to let it be a pillar stone of who I am rather than my identity. Mm. Um, because it could very well be that that easy and I I feel very fortunate that I'm able to do that because I know a lot of people um, I watched my parents, like, who who lost a son, and it changed them forever. Like, I... I, I can't imagine, yeah. It's, yeah, it's unbelievable. Like, my experience with it, and I think one of my biggest fears about writing that song was, is, like, this isn't even about me. It's my family has to live this now. Like, my family has to relive this every time they hear this song, and I was so scared of that. I was so scared for my other brothers my other brothers to hear it. It was the most scared I've ever been to share anything with anybody, and I didn't care about the rest of the world. I didn't care about millions of people seeing it, hearing it, whatever. It was literally my older brother my dad, my younger brother, my mom, my grandmother, all these people, I was just like, shit, when they hear this, what is this going to mean to them? Is it going to be horrible? Is it going to be like, you exploited this like really, really special personal thing for clicks or views or whatever, or money or anything like that. And for me, it was not, it was just therapy. It was just me talking to myself and figuring out. Yeah. Yeah, So like, I mean, I, I feel it now talking about it. It's it's it was so personal to me and and what i was met with there's a really really special memory i have um i was playing or i just recorded the song i just finished it i had i didn't show it to anybody and the first person i wanted to show it to was my dad um he grew up in bands and played music my whole life and taught me how to play guitar and i recorded that song and i finished it and i sat in a costco parking lot um i just bought a new car and we listened to it um in the pouring rain and it was like so special because i was so scared about what he was going to think and it was such a it was such a real um immediate moment and we were so present and it was so um it was like it was like my older brother was right there, which was really really cool because that's yeah. like that's that's why I want to do this It's yeah. just to create that human connection and create those moments so it was like I think it was called ca- cataleptic impressions the first time you feel something I don't know there's a good word for it, but I'm probably, I'm just misquoting everything. this <laughs> I'm just making <laughs> shit up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I but I I love that, and I'll always have that feeling, and I'll always have that that memory um, of that song. Um, that helps me like package those emotions away. That helps yeah. me package those things away, which is which is really cool. Anyways, it's my tangent about dead people. <laughs> <laughs> no, on- honestly, that.
1: Th- firstly, thank you for sharing that. Oh. Um, I think it's an emotional outlet, right? Totally, and. I think if you were so intent on the clicks, you would have probably just released one of the other eight or nine versions. Yeah. Right. Like, and I'm curious to hear about, you know, you said your dad was there with you and he was present. What was his reaction to it? Um, he said something I'll never forget, um, and as a as a songwriter
0: um, himself and as a as a musician himself, he said he'd been trying to write that song for ten years, and he was like, I could never do it. And he doesn't release music or anything, but he loves just writing music. And um, he was like, That is the song that I've been trying to write for a very mm-hmm. long time. So that made that made me really happy. But that just goes back to say that these songs aren't mine. They're not mine. They are the universes, and I'm just channeling them. It's like we're all trying to tap into the exact same thing. It all comes from this table full of ideas. Yeah. And if I hadn't written that song today, Dean Lewis would have written it or Julie Michaels would have written it or it could have been a Jeff Wood song, my dad's song. You know what I mean? It's like it's not it's not my idea. It's just the yeah. it's the universe's and I'm just tapping into it and I just keep trying to tap into it. So,
1: were you close with your
0: brother? Uh yeah, yeah I was. Um he had lived in Australia for the last few years um before he had passed away. Um, he's older than you. He's older. Yeah. Okay. He would have been Fair bit older than me. He's nine years older than me. So, okay. yeah, 37. Probably would have had a couple kids now, mm. a wife, the whole thing. But yeah, his, um. yeah, he died in a drunk driving accident. Um, And it was, it was really, it was, it was a lot for me because it was just the time that I had like started experimenting with alcohol. Like you live in a small town and I was like 13, 14, and I was like, let's go to a party and yeah. get drunk, whatever. Yeah. And it kind of pushed me off a deep end for a little while because it made me feel like, maybe this is i don't know This is probably tmi i never even talked about this but um it kind of pushed me off a deep end in terms of like high school i just drank all the time because i like i felt like it was kind of like i was closer to him maybe there's probably some unpacking that i gotta do there and then i stopped drinking for a couple years after that because i was just like i don't i don't really enjoy this by the time i was old enough to drink i'd stopped drinking (laughs) and then i was like took a couple years off and then I drink casually now, but it's not—it's not like that. But it—it—it really—it gave me a strange relationship um, with grief as well, because I just didn't deal with it. Like I didn't deal with it at all. I don't remember a situation where I had talked about it with anybody, including my parents, including my other brothers, until I decided to unpack it at like 22.
1: What was the, if we were there when this was all happening, hmm. what would we have seen? What version of Elijah would we have seen?
0: Uh, which, at, at what point? During,
1: like, when you were just basically drinking it all away? Um... Because it sounds like you were just burying the emotions.
0: I think, I think it was just coping. Like, I don't even think I knew I was doing it. I yeah. think, like, my parents sat me down when I was, like, 16 or 17. They was like, hey, there's a history of alcoholism here, and there's, like, a lot of issues that have happened with this. Like, I just want to make sure you're okay. And they understood that I was, like, in a small town, and I was bored, and I was doing the thing. But I think I was pretty, um... I don't associate with that person very much anymore. I think I was pretty like living in the moment and like nothing really matters and um I had a really <laughs> Do you know do you know, you know Band-Limp Biscuit? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first the first um mixtape I ever got was from my older brothers, both of them. Um they they were huge skateboarders and they listened to like Limp, Limp Biscuit and um they listened to Eminem and they listened to this is like early two thousands, so it was like it was
1: it was hot. The music then. was like Yeah, it was yeah. angry. It was like <laughs> angry shit. And I'm like
0: nine when I get this. And I was listening to all these all these things. And like Sum forty one and Slipknot and all this heavy shit. And uh the there's a song called Break Stuff by Limp Biscuit, and I think it's one of the most beautiful quotes ever written because it's so it's so like bullshit but um there's a line in it says um it's just one of those days when you don't want to wake up everybody everything is fucked everybody sucks and that was like my motto between that that time period and I thought it was really funny and I just I look at I look at like that time period of my life and it was very like nothing matters so why should I care about anything like nothing could make me feel as terrible as that which I don't even want to look at so who cares? Like yeah. the, life is so low consequence, and I live with the low consequence piece of that still. But I don't, I don't think, I don't think think along the lines of Fred Durst anymore. Um, <laughs> in terms of everybody sucks, I think everything is excellent. I think everybody's beautiful and and lovely and wonderful, and has really really good things inside them. I think, I think those things happen and make everybody look at the world as if it does suck, and if as as if the world's happening to them. But I think it's quite the opposite. I think if you can allow yourself to. To see the good in things and see the good in people, they'll shine that back at you, and really? that's that's what I choose to see now. Um, but it took a long time to get there. Like it was it was a nasty, a nasty period of my life. But it's also just like it's not original to have that experience. Like it's not original to have this. Like oh, I was a shitty teen. Like everyone that's had a shitty me. teenager. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like we're all just trying to find ourselves. Like it was not. I'm not talking talking as if I was like oh this like crazy unique situation and. I had this big woke moment where I was like, "Oh, yo, I'm actually smart and like intelligent and nice." Now it's like, "No, I'm just 29. I'm just maturing. Like, I'm just. It's, we're all just. We're all on the same rate."
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you bring that up because I was going to ask you what was the trigger moment to make you go, "You know what? I need to actually change the path I'm on." Because it sounds like you were on a path that could lead you down a very different life. Mm-hmm. And to make that conscious decision, yes, 100% agree with you. Some of it is maturity. Mm-hmm. Some of it is also self awareness and deciding. I need to actually take conscious effort over my actions here. Mm -hmm. Was there any one specific thing that made you go, okay, you know what? I got to stop. Or was it just a gradual?
0: Um, I wonder, I, I'm sure there were a few things. Um, I think, I think it was pretty gradual for me. I, I started realizing, um, that because of the way that I was treating people I was surrounded by a lot of people who I didn't like who didn't lift me up Um, there's a lot of people who saw the world that I did um, the same way that I did especially in high school it's like I surrounded myself with people who were like awesome and I'm still friends with them today but not people who are pursuing the things at the level that I want to pursue and I think you're just the sum total of people you surround yourself with Um, so I really really am conscious about the company that I keep I have a very small friend group and very small um, relative circle that that I keep in touch with um, cause I think we all just, we just refract things around us. Like we're just, we're just vessels for stuff passing through. And I think like a lot of things happened, um, in sort of that high school, end of high school, early twenties, um, that made me look at my life and be like, this isn't really what I want to do. So whose fault is that? it's not anybody else's but my own like i chose to do this i chose to make the decision i chose to be with this person i chose to make this friend group i chose to go out on a friday night i chose to feel like this i chose to not work out it's all me it's like it's not it's not complicated if yeah. you if you break it down and like look at who's making these decisions it's really easy to play a victim to your own decisions and just be like oh well i had to do this because of this or i had to do this because of money but i look at it now it's like if i don't if i don't want to do something if i didn't want to come in today i wouldn't have done it i wouldn't Mm. have had to sit in a coffee shop for an hour but i wanted to be here and like that's the only thing that makes that makes anything worthwhile it's Mm. like i want to spend time with you so i will and if i don't want to spend time with you then what's this going to add to anybody's life it's not anything anything to your circles this might be a little bit of a tangent but there's a really good book on um on like hosting people um which is such an art form art of gathering or something. I think it's called unbelievable. Like I've, I, I've read the first three, four chapters on it and it was talking about like, I don't This is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but I love it. Um, it was talking about when you're at, when you're planning a party and you're like, you got 20 people that you're inviting and you love all 20 of them, except for two. When you subject the group of 18 to those two people, you're not ruining your night you're ruining everybody's night because those people know that they're not happy there that people aren't happy having them and just because you're inviting them because you want to extend the extend the like the group um or or make everyone feel included it actually just ruins everybody's night so there's this whole thing about about being like it's okay to say no and it's okay to say no this isn't going to happen or not mixing friends or whatever it is because it actually is for the benefit of everybody, including the people that you didn't want to invite, because they probably weren't thinking about it that much either. They were not like, oh, well, we had to go to his party or whatever. Yeah. And if they're thinking about it that much, then they're probably not people you want to have in your life anyways.
1: That's a really interesting know. point. Yeah, because it's, I, especially now as we approach the holidays, there's a lot yeah. of special things happening. Yeah. yeah, this is a holiday special here. Do yeah. not invite <laughs> the relatives you don't want to hang out with. But,
0: and there's times where you got to just do it. Yeah, like, I mean, so, there's, it's there's, family's family and like, yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, there's, there's family that you're born with and there's chosen family. Yeah. Where do you, where are you on that spectrum? Do you spend more time with chosen family or family? Um, I feel like I I grew up in a really
0: blended family, so I have, um, both my parents remarried. They have kids of their own, um, and I'm close to the pile of them. Um, but I feel like, I feel like everyone I spend time with now, it's pretty chosen, um, Largely to do a schedule, like I just I don't have a lot of time in general. So anytime I get to see people, it's for the people that I really really want to hang out with. Um, so yeah, I think I'm mostly chosen. I have a very large family though, in terms of like lots of extended relatives and cousins and stepbrothers and sisters and everything. Actually, it's all brothers, no sisters, zero sisters. But um, a lot of extended family. My I'm very close to my immediate family. My my two blood brothers, and then I have another. Two step brothers who I'm also very close with as well, um, but it is largely chosen, I would say. Yeah. I think as you become like older, um, your circle gets smaller just naturally, and you have less time. And for you to spend time with people, it's like you got to make sacrifices. So if you're making those sacrifices, it's like you you, you go and visit them. But I am very close with both both my parents too, um, and their and their spouses. So it's good. My grandparents, the whole thing, yeah, grandparent, good. one grandparent, a very big wedding. I'm assuming that no.
2: Absolutely not. No,
0: we're getting married in Toronto, and yeah. it's thirty people. Yeah, because yeah, we were thinking about that. I was like, "Yo, how am I gonna do this?" Yeah, because so much family, <sighs> So
1: much family, and it's Toronto. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, like <laughs> oh my god. Like, Venues alone. No, it's not. Yeah. So yeah,
0: I grew up in Perth, Ontario, which is like okay. super small. So we we thought about doing it out there. Um, my fiance's from near Kingston area, like the, um, on the Thousand Islands area. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful spot. Yeah, it's lovely. And we thought about doing it there, but it's almost too low lift. Like people could come. And we're like, <laughs> we're like, yo, I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> so we are, we're taking our budget that we were going to have for a wedding and we're going down South and renting a boat for a week. Yes. Yeah. Oh, very yeah. Nice. yeah. So I was like, it's the same amount of money. It's yeah. just now that we get to enjoy it with like six other people. So we're doing a small wedding here for the, for my grandma and my fiance's grandmother and yeah. her parents. And like, we'll have a little ceremony or whatever. And then we're going to have a small party after just like a, like a reception, come by and have a drink. Like it's no, yeah. no, uh. It's not a three-day excursion. It's straight up, it's just like there's some. Ways comes, that are like seven uh, days long? Bro, I can't. And it's you know it's what? Insane. It's not for me. Like, it's just like I understand. You have a big Italian family. You got to do that thing. Like, I very much appreciate <laughs> it. I was uh, some lovely friends who. <laughs> have massive, massive weddings and they're so cool and so fun. But by day four, I'm like, I'm over celebrating you.
1: Like, I love you, but like, I, this is a lot for yeah, me. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to see you for a while. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I appreciate you paying
0: for my dinner, but I'm not going to pay for years of my weddings. So. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So
1: how are you balancing a, a music career, planning a wedding, maintaining a circle, being an entrepreneur? being responsive to your fans like all of these different hats that you're wearing Mm -hmm. Uh, when you when you dedicate or allocate some time to one thing you're naturally taking away from the other Mm -hmm. how are you balancing all of this um one really
0: great people around me um I decided to go independent a couple of years ago. So I'm fully independent on the publishing side of things and master side of things, which means I own all the rights to all my music, which is great. Um, in 2023, that is the trajectory of things, which is amazing. Um, and because I produce and write it and mix and master it all, it makes it really lucrative for me. I like, I can be on TikTok and I can promote my stuff and then I see every dollar that comes in, which is mm-hmm. lovely. Um, so because of that, I've been able to hire some really, really incredible people. Um, I have a couple managers, a social media manager who helps me out. Um, Make sure that I'm getting posts up every day. Making sure that I have content planned for weeks. So I'm going on vacation on the ninth for five days, and making sure that on the ninth there's still stuff happening and people are commenting back and the whole thing. Um, for me, it's all about it's all about f- um, when I'm doing something, I'm fully invested in that thing. So if if we're here talking on a podcast, I'm not on my phone. I'm not um, managing six other sessions. There's no there's nothing going on outside of me. Uh, there's nothing going on outside of where i am right now Um, and i take that with me i try to take that with me everywhere i'm like pretty um i think one of my greatest strengths is i'm very efficient like in terms of if i'm if i'm doing something i will do it to the nth degree whether it's buying a camera i'm literally looking at this camera here and i'm like what focal length is that because i'm like (laughs) obsessing over like what what situation that is because i've I've recently gotten into that over the last couple years and i just i want to make sure that my content is the best quality i want to make sure that. Um, my music's the best quality. I wanna make sure that everything I'm doing is, is the best quality. So for me, it's about picking picking the thing that I'm doing that day and just doing that. And if that's playing Call of Duty on my couch, then I'm absolutely doing that. Like yesterday, I literally did knock it off my couch and it's th- my favorite day I've had in a long time. Like I haven't had a day like <laughs> that a good in a like couple yeah. of years. Like I couldn't remember, I was like, when did I last do this? And it was the best. <laughs> I ate chips and I sat on my couch and I was like, hell yeah. But then I went in the sauna and like did the whole thing because I felt terrible yeah. after, but <laughs> after was, eating a bag of chips. Yeah, and it was like a nasty road. It's wild because like I used to do that when I was younger, like yeah. like twenty years old. I'd be like crushed three days or something like yeah. that. Go like hours and yeah, hours, and, like, hours, have a weekend with the boys yeah. and just like you set up for like yeah, it's nasty. I I can't do that anymore. But it was good. It was like a good little reset. But I'm I'm really um I'm really precious with my time, and um I've created a world where um. I don't know. It's it's uh, this this is the most braggy I think I get. I've created a world where I can do anything I want whenever I want, which is absolutely incredible. I have a schedule that I have to adhere by, but if I need to cancel anything, if I need to change anything, it's all it's all me. Like I can cancel it. It's, there's no label asking me for things. There's no huge international team being like you got to be here and here and you got to tour this time. It's like if I don't want to do it, I don't do it, which is incredible. Um, and that took a long time to get here. Like I've i built that built. A business and uh and um, a social media platform and um a music marketing platform that allows me to be anywhere in the world whenever i want with the people that i want to be um and and create wherever i want to go i have a portable music studio i can create in tahiti if i want to um That's pretty cool. which is awesome yeah. i can be anywhere in the world but i love being at home like i love being with my things and my people and um just in a routine, so it's 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 the flexibility of things and the efficiency of things is when I'm doing them. It's like I'm absolutely doing them 100. percent
1: What was that decision to go independent? We're we're seeing a lot more of that mm-hmm. now. There's oftentimes like. It's easy also to hear some artists talk about how, you know, the big bad labels mm-hmm. will, will take everything it's, from you. and It's then
0: a we've, boring conversation. That's well, so. we've
1: also had artists come on and say, honestly, if it wasn't for my label, like, mm-hmm. they've done incredible things totally. for us. So, Absolutely. like, I, I think it's always somewhere in the middle between the two extremes. But for an artist to decide, I'm going to go independent, especially when a label comes to you and says, hey, we'll fund this whole operation. Yeah. How did that process happen? What made you decide that this is the route you want to take knowing the risks and the pitfalls of doing that? I think um,
0: I started in started music production, as I mentioned. Um, so for, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, music production is very expensive. Like it's very expensive to rent a studio. Um, and it used to be a lot, like back in the 70s, 80s, you'd have to go into a studio and record it to tape, which costs tens of thousands of dollars, pay an engineer, pay a session player, pay whoever. And with my upbringing and getting into dance music and doing all this stuff, it's like I learned how to make music on a laptop. Like I make everything myself. I record everything myself. And with that, I taught myself to play the piano. I taught myself to play guitar. So 95% of the records that I put out um, have all been entirely me, um, which up until very recently was a very expensive process. So that was step one in terms of, in, in terms of okay, well, could I be independent because the music cost me $0 to make? awesome. i even, I don't even hire producers like for my stuff. And like producers kind of range between $2,000 a track and $250,000 a track. Like it costs a lot of money to make a single song. Wow. So it's all over the place in terms of your fees. So every song I look at, okay, I saved a hypothetical $25,000 here. And like, that's the, the made up mm-hmm. number, sure. yeah. but I'm, I'm, I saved that much money. And then I look at how much it would have cost me to hire or cost a record label to hire a marketing team to say, okay, we're gonna um, set up a, a media run of you doing all the the U.S. or whatever and uh, doing all this publicity and all these things, and that costs fifty 000 to eighty thousand dollars per song per week. Basically, yeah. it's so expensive. And then I look at the traffic that I drive on TikTok, and I'm like, okay, I've offset offset that, so I've saved all of that money, and now I can collect all of those things. Direct because I don't need to. I don't need to outsource a media company. I don't need to outsource anything. It's like I can build social media from my bedroom and go to reach millions of people. I have a song this week that's like number one. It's been number one in Thailand for two weeks, and it's like I've never been there. I've never been there mm-hmm. ever. But that is just social media. And the the independence thing. um I was signed to a, a major label. Signed to um, Big Machine and Republic for a number of years um, from 2017 to 2020. And it was in a duo during that time, and it was really great. Like I think anybody who's like, oh, big bad label took all my masters and they did all these all these terrible things to me. It's like, no, they didn't. You signed over your rights to your music. It's been happening forever, for an amount of money that you needed at that time. Like you yeah. were broke before that. Like don't forget. Like these labels aren't criminals. They're just smart business people. Like they're just, no. and it is predatory. Like it absolutely is predatory. You're taking somebody's like, I'm I'm not going to negate that the fact that like. A lot of artists don't know how it works and they don't know mm. how the, the business end of things work. So it is predatory. Like, it's, I, I very much agree with that. Um, but it's not, it's not new. It's not like, oh, they pulled the wool over my eyes and all of a sudden this is happening. It's like, it's, it's a boring conversation to have in terms of like, oh, my label's screwing me. It's like, no, they're not. You signed this deal. Like, you should have read it and mm. you should have, you should have had the, the, the wherewithal to understand that, like, okay, if I'm in this for five years, then I'm in this for five years and I gotta, I gotta live with that. If a song blows up, if a song does whatever. Um, But yeah, for me, it was, it was very much, it cost me zero money to make. And social media was really, really happening at the time. This was like 2020. And I was like, I just got to put this out and figure out what I'm going to do with this. And I just bit into it. I just, I forgot the cringe stuff. And I forgot all the stuff that I was raised with all these, like, um, all these, like, oh, you shouldn't put, put yourself out there in social media because it's awkward and cringy and showing people who you are on the internet is like lame and all this stuff. And I was like, fuck it. I have to do this because otherwise nobody's going to pay for my life. And I look back four years later, three years later, and I'm like, I'm so glad I did. I'm so yeah. glad I invested into this. And, like, I, I make videos all the time, that I'm like, yo, this is dumb. Like, this is not a good <laughs> idea. Like, who's going to watch this? And it'll be, like, 10 million views. I'm like, okay, great. That paid for my house. Like, yeah. it doesn't, like, it's it's nuts. It, and that's a piece of it that I, that I don't understand. Um, I don't understand on a on a macro level, but on a micro level, I think it all just means consistency and um and a willingness to participate in the thing like a willingness to do good in that thing so it's whether it's making a video every day and making it to the best of your ability it's like if you keep doing that and consistently keep doing that you're going to something will happen mm-hmm. absolutely it will do more than you not posting that video mm-hmm. and that was the that was the outlook that i that i took i was like i just got to commit to this and do this thing like the conveyor belt exactly yeah. every, day, every day every day you got to show, up. show yeah. up yeah you just got to show the days up days you don't feel like it even on the days you don't feel like it, and it's not, and it's not because it's work. I think that's the main thing. It's like I didn't show up, and I was like, like on the days that I, I, I didn't feel like it, it wasn't like, oh my god, I got to do this. Like I gotta, I gotta keep doing this. It's like no, I had my goal in sight. It's like it's not about the the daily. Like oh, this didn't go viral, so this sucks, and my life sucks, and this is horrible. And I've obviously gone through those periods, but it's always, it doesn't matter about the day to day. Oh, this video did ten thousand. This video did a hundred thousand. This video did one view. It doesn't matter. It's like the end goal of that is always hundreds of millions of views it doesn't matter it doesn't or hundreds of millions of dollars you know what i mean it's like the the end goal is always there and it doesn't really matter how you get there but as long as you're consistent and like as long as you're putting out the best of your ability you will get further than you were at the start without putting any effort in so yeah. that's what i try to keep in keep in mind but the long and short of it is the independence thing was a value add it's are you are you adding value to what i'm creating and how are you adding value i don't get approached by any 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 record labels now like at all because they know that i'm running a successful business and they look at the numbers and they're like i see what you're making on on streaming i see what you're making on youtube i see what you're making on publishing i can't afford you and it's not about it's not about um oh it's tens of millions of dollars and it's like huge it's like i'm not going to give up my creativity for x amount of dollars and for x amount of um like resources that you have to take me take me globally right because I already, like, I have it, and I'm, I'm good, I'm chilling, like, I'm having the time of my life making music at my own pace with an amazing team of people around me, and it's just not, the, the plus minus on it doesn't make sense to me, it, there's no, there's no advantage to me being, like, on a on a team with, um, like, let's use Republic, for example, they're amazing people, best in the world, but, like, if they have Ariana Grande, and Taylor Swift, and the weekend and then me it's like well who's the priority who's making more money it's like that th- that makes sense to me like why would they put any effort or any resources into what i'm doing
1: right so then it becomes a matter of deciding whether there's even a fit for you at that point mm. money aside it's just can you even get the attention that you would need mm. to continue to grow type of thing
0: yeah yeah and could you could you or would you even want to invest into something yeah. it's already it's already sustainable it's already it's it's doing its thing like i'm i am my my goal with this whole thing is just like in 10 years i'm going to sell it all to a private equity firm because it's just recurring revenue like it's not i'm not selling it to a to a to a record label for them to exploit it for x amount of dollars like i have i have an asset now that generates x amount of dollars a month and in 10 years it'll be 20x that And every single month, like that's what all these private equity firms look for. They just look for recurring revenue so that they can write it off into their books. Like that's what, that's what I, that's where I'm headed. I'm selling my catalog of music, whether it's on the publishing side or mastering side or publishing side or master side to a private equity firm just for a load of cash. And then I can reinvest that somewhere else and take my life somewhere else or keep creating, creating art. The example is like, if you have a paint if you're a painter Mm. and you create, if I painted this table, this table is worth $400 $400 let's say, and I painted this table, it's now worth 5,000. It didn't cost me anything to paint the table, but I then created an asset that was worth $5,000. Mm-hmm. I can do that forever, but if I paint 20 tables and then sell them to a private equity firm, my my threshold of, of value is now $50,000 and it was nothing before that. Yeah. So now I have this baseline. It's like taking out like a mortgage on yourself, basically. Yeah. So I'm going to do that forever because I have this asset that I'm creating for free. Yeah. But anyways, that's my that no. Was that's was was, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I've yeah. never
1: I've never heard it described that way. It's my, my brain's just like processing the information. Yeah. Like I've never heard someone talk about selling their catalog of music, but then. As you describe it, I'm like, that makes complete sense.
0: The the perfect example is Justin Bieber. So he owns a small percentage of a lot of these songs. He just sold his publishing catalogue for two hundred fifty million dollars. Like he owns call it
2: I heard about that, yeah.
0: So it's it's a huge, a huge amount of money. And it's really interesting because he doesn't he doesn't even own a ton of these songs. Like he's he's been the face of a lot of these songs. He makes most of his money touring and selling merch and all these things. Um because he doesn't write a lot of the music, he doesn't produce a lot of the music and the record label owns it. But his small piece of all these songs, just on the publishing side, which is hypothetically half of a song, is worth $250 million. And his only thought, I mean, this is where my brain goes, his only thought in selling that is, do I need the cash now or do I need it in 10 years? And he probably came to a point where he's like, don't really wanna do another world tour, let me cash out on this so I can live for another 10 to 15 years comfortably and not have to worry about anything. So I just think about it as like, you have the opportunity to create an asset for I, or me specifically, for nothing. I'm creating. I'm creating. I'm. I'm. I'm playing a real. I'm planning a real estate em- empire here. Except there's no buy-in. My buy-in has been the last ten years of learning how to do this, and now it's like, well, I just I throw out a song, and then it becomes a house, and then I throw out another song, and it becomes a house, and I throw out another song, and it becomes a house, and then I have this real estate empire of music that eventually I can sell off, and it's not going down in value because it's still generating income. All
1: right. And and songs have, uh, what's that term? but it's like playback value where you can listen to the same song several times in a row yeah and and it's good you know you're not going to watch a movie three times in a row in the next hour type of thing yeah
0: yeah exactly yeah the ai yeah there's a word for that yeah something like that
1: but basically you can listen to the same song multiple times you can listen to the same song a hundred times in a month and still want to listen to it again yeah you can have it on repeat some people will listen to the same song until they're sick of it yeah and you're getting rewarded as the artist for that every single time
0: kate bush wicked example of that stranger stranger things song yeah Yeah. off the charts for she didn't even i think she made it to top 10 in 1985 or something and now she had the shit not now two years ago whatever it was she had the number one song in the world she was making like 18 million bucks a month off that song 25 years later and she owns all (gasps) of it unbelievable bro like it's stupid money yeah, it's absolutely insane. But that's the value of it. It's like, you're just, you're just, you're fishing. You're just like, that. that's the way I look at it. It's like, if I gave up my rights to that, I don't have an opportunity to fish anymore. No. There's no, there's no nothing. I get a one-time fee for it. And I mean, if you guys wanted to get, get in the weeds of it a little bit, there's, there's record labels are crazy. They're so smart. Like, it's just so brilliant. If you have a song, say I'm a record label. If you have a song, say you write a song called, say you wrote Jingle Bells because we're Christmas now. And I say, and yeah, wicked song. I I say, you know what? That's a smash hit. Took a lot of time to put it together. Yeah. yeah, Brilliant. (laughs) Sampled the bell sound, the whole thing. (laughs) And I say, brilliant song. We want to, we want to take it and we want to market it. Here's a hundred thousand dollars for that one song. And you're like, oh my God, a hundred thousand dollars for a song. That's that's incredible. That's so great. You have to pay back to the label, the hundred thousand dollars plus majority of the time 50 percent of all marketing costs which could be zero dollars or 10 million dollars over its lifetime doesn't matter before you see a penny and after you recoup you only see 18 points on on that on that that amount so say the song say the song say the song say they put 10 million million dollars into into um promoting that song you're on the hook for 5 million plus the initial 100000 plus whatever else they spent on you as the artist. So say your total P&L is $6 million. You see $0.18 cents on the dollar after you recoup $6 million on that song.
1: It's not,
0: that's it's not great. No. But the way that artists like... But they needed the 100000 up front. They needed the 100000 up front. And there's no other industry where... Where maybe I think I think the writers were just fighting for something similar. I'm not I'm not 100 sure about that. Like uh, the screenwriters,
1: the the residual income Every right time like a show airs or right. whatnot. The not streaming, the streaming. The streaming. The streaming, right, and you know, then like the, the Netflix model. Now yeah. it's the the company who essentially puts the film out that gets the recurring model, not the actors, not the writers who get that residual right. income.
0: So that's it's a similar premise where it's like the music industry is already. Has already screwed themselves with that. Like, the songwriters didn't advocate for themselves well. So, like, songwriters don't get paid on Spotify, which is crazy. Me as a songwriter, if I write a song, it's a fraction, fraction of a penny. So, on Spotify, it's about between, um, if I own the master, it's between 0.03 and 0.04 cents per um, thousand streams. So, it's it's about three to 4,000 per million streams um, USD. But as a songwriter, if a song does 100 million streams, you make about, like, $900. A hundred million streams. That's, like, a hit song.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people print out a hundred million stream song. No. No,
0: and it's crazy because... Then the conversation be becomes okay. Well, record labels should compensate songwriters for all these things. This is just a macro <laughs> conversation that <the> music <laughs> industry you now. This is it's gone off on a tangent. I apologize. This is nope. even about me. This is just me. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is interesting because this is yeah. all led
1: into the decision that you've made ultimately yep. for yourself to like, like <laughs> when you say it, when you describe it initially, when you're like, I decided to go independent. I'm always like, whoa, well, okay, that that that's ballsy. Like mm-hmm. you got to take a risk on something like that. But as you sort of play out, well, here are all the considerations that go into it. Mm-hmm. I start me not knowing anything sitting here going okay well that makes sense okay well that well, makes well sense well
2: thought i was not like just woke up one day it's like oh i'm going to be independent because no. being independent yeah. is the
1: cool thing this cool like, yeah yeah, yeah. well like, everyone's doing
2: i'm a to do business i mean, actually really thought about it and yeah. looked at the numbers and it makes perfect sense
0: and once again that is largely to do with the amazing people i have around me i have I have a really really great manager who's always look after my needs I'm a great business manager who takes care of everything for me um make sure that i'm sheltered from taxes and make sure that i'm like taking care of um, just personally and making sure that i'm chilling but without those things i would be screwed like i would have no idea what i'm doing but it's once again the people that you surround yourself with and without that that network of people without those people that um that you're going out and finding and without that that law of attraction thing where if you put it out it will come back none of this is possible like like the independence the the whatever it's like we're effectively running a, a record label independently um but we get to see the profits from it and we don't have to pay some man in sweden X amount of 89% <laughs> of our, our income,
1: which is great. It's cool. That's amazing. Um, we've kind of, like, been developing a mini tradition here mm. now on the podcast. It's just sort of happening where we, every so often, ask our guests to say something to their fans or to their friends or something that they may not have necessarily said before. Cool. Um, is there anything that you would want to say to your fans, like, if you could talk to them? I talk to them every day, but... Um, <laughs> I would say, I
0: don't know, there's so much pressure to be, like, fucking impactful or something. Um,
1: No, just.
0: I think, like, none of this is possible without you. It's, like, none of this is possible without people supporting music and people caring. I think people are always really hung up on the fact that, like, social media is terrible and TikTok's terrible and it's ruining the music industry and whatever, but it's always just vehicles for people to find new things that they like. And for me, I've been able to capitalize on that in whatever way I've been able to. And it's brought me to more people. And I'm so grateful that people even care about what I'm doing because I'd be doing this without people paying attention or not. So thank you for caring and thank you for making this possible, I guess. Like that's like, that's as real as I can be because outside of the music industry, outside of the business side of things, there's, there's opportunities where there's millions of dollars pumped into artists and it doesn't pan out the only thing that works here or the only thing that that is working for me is that people care and that is something that i cannot take for granted because there's so many talented people and there's so many there's so many more talented people than me like i'm the first person to tell you i'm not a singer i'm not a songwriter i'm not a producer i'm not anything i'm just me trying to make something that i like i don't i'd have no idea what the fuck i'm doing like zero zero clue but i love it so much that i'm going to keep trying and i'm going and i'm going to keep trying to be it as authentic as i can and the fact that people see me being vulnerable and being authentic I think is what I think is what attracts people to me I have no idea I'll let everyone else speak to that (laughs) but I I'm so grateful that I've had the opportunity to be seen um for who I am and to tell these stories and to to have them resonate because that is like I think that's one of the goals of humanity is to be seen um and I think it's 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 so special and I, I do not take for take that for granted
1: incredible Elijah we see you I see you guys. This is great. This is awesome. I really appreciate you no, guys having me on. I appreciate you coming through. I, I appreciate the humbleness and I appreciate the down to earth conversation and cool. the knowledge and the knowledge. <laughs> yes. I, wasn't, I wasn't expecting this, to go to school today, yeah, yeah. but I definitely yeah. did, man. Thank you. I'm really sorry. We we took a we took <laughs> no, a we were down was, a rabbit this hole this there. An educational podcast. <laughs> now yeah. you got to learn about the behind the scenes. It's yeah. always amazing. Yeah. Hell yeah. No,
0: I really appreciate you guys, and I'm I'm stoked for everything you're doing. So, congrats on the podcast, and thank you, thank you guys for being. Uh, Great interviewers
1: no amazing great. and we got to do a part two to this at some point. hell yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm gonna come back with a book you yeah. know? Be like, hey, so these well, are gonna... all the books we talked about i quit music i quit music and i wrote a book about yeah. all these other books that i like you yeah. could write a book no, nah. with that kind of for other artists for other artists to help them out and at least see the see the i mean like there's a lot of inside knowledge in i like
0: right? i i feel i'm i've maybe you know what maybe this is like and this is not meant to put you guys down at all i regurgitate a lot of this shit like mm. it's like we all regurgitate everything yeah. it's it's like a lot of music industry people talk about it and i think the music industry people that talk about it and get hung up on it stop making music so i try not to focus on mm, it anymore cuz mm. it's like it's cool to know about it and it's cool to understand the business side of things but like all of everything aside it doesn't matter it's like i just want to make music like that's yeah. what i want to do and if i want to be protected and safe and whatever i need to understand the ballpark of things but it doesn't matter like if yeah. i'm signed to a record label or not like some of the greatest artists of all time, Joni Mitchell. It's like, she could care less how much money she's making. She's like, if I have a roof over my head, I'm good. Because like, that's all I need to make this thing that I love doing. And that's, that's what I, I love doing. Like I love, I love that the artist piece of me could live in a shed in Wisconsin and not care about anything and just record guitars and do that whole thing. But I also love running a business. That's another piece of it that like that, that fuels that, that piece of it for me. And I yeah. really, really love, um, I love, um, playing the capitalist game for a little while i think that's fun i think it's really really fun because it's a reflection of of the worst and the best parts of humanity i think mm.
1: that is a whole other podcast yeah, sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah let's, let's talk about capitalism <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. amazing elijah thank you so much for coming through thank we you guys your appreciate your time it. and we're gonna do a round two hell yeah amazing thank awesome. you everybody thank you